0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unraveling Minds podcast. My name is Rick Hernandez. I am a social work grad student, a drug and alcohol counselor, and most importantly, a father of two beautiful children. In today's episode, we're going to be covering some of the new laws that went into effect in California in January 1st, 2021. We're covering the state of California and the new laws that kicked in on January 1st, 2021, because I personally live here and my guest lives here as well. And California is one of the leading states when it comes to progressiveness, in quotation marks. And whether we agree or disagree with some of the progressive laws that California has been able to pass in the recent years, the laws do lead the nation and other states do tend to follow. I know as mental health uh, students, which we will eventually become mental health professionals, I know that um, we have some of the strictest, strictest laws in the nation so given that of uh, talking to other professionals, they have always said, if you're able to get licensed, if you're able to make it in California, then it's going to be easier to switch to other states. So we're going to be covering some laws that we think is definitely going to have an impact on the nation itself in the coming years. And today with me, I have my guest, Christian Baye. Christian Baye is a MSW student. He's a colleague of mine at California State University. I have known Chris for about two years. We're both in the same uh, master's in social work at the University of Northridge. And Chris, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure thing. Thanks for the introduction, Ricardo. Um, So like Ricardo mentioned, my name is Christian Valle, and I am a mental health professional. I've been working in the mental health field for four years now at a crisis stabilization unit and a short-term residential treatment program, what formerly used to be called a group home. And I've been spending four years there as a mental health crisis counselor, and I've transitioned into a new role, a supervisory role now. And like Ricardo mentioned, I am a graduate student in Cal State Northridge at the Master's of Social Work program. Um, currently, I also am interning at a federally qualified healthcare center in Santa Clarita. I'm interning as a mental health therapist there, working with adult clients. Um, my background, a little brief tradition of my background, I did do c- sports coaching, for youth from six to 12 for baseball and soccer. I also did a a little bit of internship at the Chatsworth Courthouse for neighborhood self-help legal of Los Angeles, uh, doing restraining orders in English and in Spanish. And also a little bit of family law helping litigants or some of the individuals come in for family law services, filling out divorce papers or making sure their papers are in order. And so that's a little bit of my background.
0: And it's interesting, as you were talking right now, it just came up to me how all those prevention programs, like after school programs, that's I consider that prevention, uh, coaching, basketball, community centers, all that's taken away, man, for a lot of the kids right now um, during this pandemic. Um, I wonder how, what's going to happen afterwards? Because I know a lot of the kids are kind of locked into their houses. There's not much to do, but those programs were an outlet for them. They were that thing to do. Children will come home at 6 p.m. from the house, but they had four hours to be uh, out there playing, being with positive role models. And now that's just all been taken away. What's your take on
1: that? Definitely. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree that it was a positive outlook for individuals, especially young kids who that might have been their only safe space. And by safe space, I mean being away from, let's say, a hostile parent or lack of of parenting from certain parents who tend to neglect their their Kids for more than one reason or the other. Um, But I feel like there's going to be a real detriment, especially in their mental health and also social skills. Because think about it right now, a lot of kids might be spending time playing video games, reading a book. There's nothing wrong with that. But interacting in a social setting with others in sports, right? Where once they were getting that attention, they were developing character, they were really gaining a sense of their own personality. Whereas now they're going to have to start all over, right? It's going to be sort of like a reboot for them. And now they might spend more time at home experiencing more secondhand trauma, whether it be or direct trauma, whether it be abuse. Right. Or witnessing domestic violence in the home or just not have or just being alone at home. Right. Whereas school after school after school programs, sports or even like homework centers. Right. Mm -hmm. They would spend time with their friends and get that interaction. Whereas once they go home, it's just they're there by themselves. Right. No longer have that resource to really rely on. Yeah, for yeah. anything, right? And then add from- uh,
0: add an alcoholic parent, uh, yeah. alcoholic mother, drug addict parents, or just toxic environment, being in a home. It's going to be really tough, man. And I think, um, you know, as we go into the field, we're going to see this. These are going to be our clients. These are going to be the kids that we work with um, or even the young adults that we work with that all of a sudden, this is a, I kind of see this happening. All of a sudden, um, you know, they're, they're doing half of last year this year uh, doing remotely staying home maybe some of these kids not even take showers right just get out of bed roll out of bed i, I talked to a couple my nephews just get out of bed don't even shower don't even clean yourself just go into your zoom meeting and then once everything goes back to some sort of normal now you're gonna expect to have a sense of structure all of a sudden uh yeah. get up early have some breakfast if there's food in the table. Uh, take showers, get ready, and then go to school and listen to your teacher. And you can't walk away. You can have your cell phone. You cannot get up whenever you want to. So you can have the TV in the background. So I think this structure that kids des- definitely need is going to be dropped on them, and we're going to have some kids that are not going to adjust well.
1: Definitely, and you know what's interesting is like you mentioned that structure. A lot of kids, even teenagers, right? They rely on some sort of structure right like i had to take the bus at this time my parents wake me up at this time or my sister my siblings wake me up at this time right Uh, but also right now they're lacking that whole lot of like that social interaction because i've seen it in the place where i work is a lot of adolescents will go into crisis to go and meet other kids to go and interact with other kids right like we saw that in the middle of the of like this pandemic right in the dead set middle of is we were pretty busy. A lot of kids are coming in and out and a lot of them are saying, yeah, I'm just tired of being at home. Right. Mm. They need that social interaction. A lot of them, they're, they're used to cycling in and out of hospitals. Right. Yeah. And that for them is where they get that sense of normalcy, being able to spend time with their friends.
0: Holy fuck. I just, you just fucking blew my mind in that sense that we might have some of these kids who we see as resistant to treatment or, um, relapsers, uh, but these kids might just be acting out just to go hang out with uh, other people in yeah. hospitals, in centers like the one where you work, in group yeah. homes because their fucking house sucks so much and they have no friends or they have no so- sense of social skills to develop friendships, so they're acting out in order to go and socialize.
1: Yeah, I mean, not to take anything away from the actual individuals who really do need that help, mm-hmm. um, but there is some folks who I've I've seen I've worked at the Thousands of kids, unfortunately, but also fortunately enough that they are seeking treatment. They are receiving that treatment. But some of them do use like going to a hospital to socialize, make friends, develop relationships, romantic relationships. Um, So you see that pattern and a lot of what you would consider like frequent flyers or just in repeat, like repeat clients that you would see constantly. It's it's not that the programs aren't helping them, but it's that's their only way of being able to seek that comfort of, and that sense of normalcy, like I'm with my friend, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's the individuals who will really plan on, hey, let's meet at this hospital. Let's try and get to place at this hospital or let's go get at this facility. We'll be there together at the same time. We'll just say the same same thing to get there. Right. Because a lot of adolescents are smart. Right. Super when smart, it comes yeah. down to finding ways around finding the loopholes. Right. In within certain systems and they're smart, bro. I feel like a lot of people, a lot of like professionals, really don't take that into consideration how smart these adolescents really are, right? It's just they just channel it in the
0: wrong way, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: They know how to play the game, right? And they also know how to read people. They also know what will get to you under your skin, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, I feel like I really give them a lot of credit when they really do want to seek treatment, but also in their ways that they're doing, it might not always be the greatest, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's where some people might really underestimate the power of connections because for like, for example, somebody might view them going in and out of hospitals constantly as a bad thing. Yeah. But that could also be their only way they feel safe. Right. And ultimately that is a good thing. Right. Yeah. Their safety. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Being safety,
0: just uh channeling it in the wrong way. Like, like you yeah. were saying. just
1: Yeah. So we're going to, we're
0: going to have to see that. We're going to get uh, the end of the stick. Um, I think we're gonna be able to see uh, all these policies of stay at home, not letting kids go out. And I think we can't even criticize uh, California. I was reading a couple of reports how it said that Governor uh, Newsom, it's done, his political career might be over in the sense because California is fucking collapsing. They, we had the strictest stay at home orders uh, next to New York and look where we're at right now in Los Angeles, all over the state yeah. of California. Uh, the virus wasn't contained, children. We're going to deal with this. This is what we're talking about. We're going to deal with the aftermath uh, in the days to come after that pandemic because we're going to have these teens who going from middle school to high school. Now, it might sound like a little bit of time, a year and a half, two years, but these are these are the critical years of their development. This is the critical years of their socialization. And now you get that taken away. You put them in a room all day long in front of a screen. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough.
1: Well, let's hope I mean, for the best. Uh, hope. It's, it's yeah, definitely. It's even tough for adults, right? Mm-hmm. Having mm-hmm. to work from home, having to do school from home, internships from home, or just constantly meeting, right? Mm-hmm. On Zoom, right? Or whatever other video conferencing people use. Yeah. And that's also not good for adults either.
0: Right, you know? right. right, right. But at a, least we had the development, but. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or some. I mean, we, we go from sitting down at our jobs, right? If you have an office job, right? Yeah. And then we go to our home, we have dinner, we're sitting down. Mm -hmm. Right. Some Mm -hmm. people might not, might just spend the rest of the afternoon sitting down. Yeah. And then you lay down. We're very sedentary now, right? Yeah. Like that's all we're doing is sitting down. Yeah. That's
0: why you got to get up there, man. Start doing push ups some pull-ups something to stay active (laughs) if not yeah yeah definitely but let's dive in here let's dive deep into the laws um i did notice one that said in beginning in april hospitals must maintain at least a three-month stockpile of personal protective equipment for their workers or face a fine up to twenty five thousand dollars per violation uh this is a great law that i think uh was put into place um but what the fuck were the hospitals doing before that you didn't have, I think the pandemic showed that uh, hospitals didn't have a stockpile of personal protective equipment. Yeah. I think uh, we saw how much um, the United States uh, rely on China to buy that equipment. I know this, this came up in the news and it kind of got lost. Uh, Governor Newsom was one of the first ones uh, to secure quotation marks secure protective equipment personal protective equipment uh for the hospitals and he was boasting about it how he signed million dollar deals to bring the equipment and then the project collapsed yeah and that equipment never got here and it was with uh somebody a manufacturer i believe from china um and he was going to get all of this and then eventually we didn't get it and then we had all these hospitals uh, without ppe and uh, the frontline workers struggling so i think in a sense it's good that they must maintain a three-month stockpile just a little too late though
1: in my yeah, opinion i mean I-, I agree with a little bit too late um similar to that boat that came in right that they, they were going to yeah. use like uh, it's like an emergency setting like a backup right yeah um but as far as like the stockpile of ppe i'm sure they probably did have some but not what they expected it to be. Right. Especially now. I know we're in what the third surge of, of COVID at least here in California. Um, but we're seeing more hospitals be influx of patients and they're having to use ER or separate areas in the hospital wings. And I feel like they also needed to be ready for this holiday wave that we're seeing Right, like they knew it was coming.
0: Yeah, they, they kept on talking about it. The search is coming on fall. The search is coming on fall. Like the darkest day is gonna come. It's gonna yeah. come. It's gonna come. And where the fuck's our boat? I forgot yeah. what the name of the boat was when it came um on the coast, and it was just parked there. We didn't even use it, and then just went away. And now yeah. that it's needed, why is it not here? That's my question. Mm-hmm. Why didn't we made like some type of temporary uh, hospitals? Or yeah. temporary emergency rooms in order for this search to happen when everybody was waiting for it um I think it's a failure on and I think it comes down to the governor I'm sorry yeah. but it comes down to him uh he was doing he's that's that's what you sign up for when you get that job um so I definitely feel like he failed um, California just because we were not ready for this, but also knowing that it was gonna get worse did not get prepared
1: mm-hmm. so I, I mean, think so what about the like the CEOs of hospitals, right? They also knew this was coming, right? They could have opened a separate wing or did something temporary, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I know here in Ventura County, they had a, an old hospital that wasn't really used because they built a new one mm-hmm. right, right across the street and they're using that now as a overflow of patients. Right? Interesting. But now you need nurses, right? You need nurses yeah. and doctors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do we get them from, right? I know a lot of of out-of-states, out-of-state nurses are coming in to help.
0: Yeah, uh, also uh, people that were retired, um, people, students that were doing like Mm -hmm. their practicum hours, they're letting them kind of slide and just go into the field, getting the real life experience, uh, and just helping during this pandemic, which I totally agree with it. Um, But yes, I I completely agree with you. So uh, if anybody from LA Public health listening, send them to Ventura. (laughs) They have an empty hospital over there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think the other one, another law was that employers must provide written notice within 24 hours to workers who might have been exposed to someone with COVID 19 and can face fines for violations. Uh, this law goes into effect until 2023. So employers must now let you know if somebody at your workplace um, is, is infected with uh, uh, COVID 19. Yeah. Um, and they have to let everybody know if you're exposed to someone there. So I think that's that's great. Don't um, you
1: think that should have been one that was just a common a common thing and rather than having to be a law?
0: Yeah, like? yeah. And I think um I think maybe you and I we work at professional places where they are doing this. They are sending you emails. Yeah. They are telling us to take care. But I can see how like restaurants might be like, oh yeah. no, no, no. We're not gonna say anything. Like, oh no, you're okay. People, you know, yeah. farm workers. Um, factories I have a buddy mm-hmm. who works at a factory um, and he was telling me how they kept on pressuring him to go back to work after he was exposed he wasn't COVID-19 positive he was exposed he went to take a test and they kept on saying well if you don't have symptoms just come back yeah well if you don't have symptoms just come back it's like what like, what if this does have it, and he just goes yeah. and spreads it to everyone so yeah I think it's like one of those common sense things that unfortunately um, it had to be put into law which one's so one think, that you wanted to cover on oh, my back? Uh,
1: real quick, no, I think it's actually a good thing, though, like how you mentioned, farm workers and individuals working in factories, right? Like, I'm sure OSHA is not always checking in on them periodically, right?
0: Correct. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I feel like that's a good thing to hold them accountable mm-hmm. as it'll expand the reach mm-hmm. as far as like letting people know, hey, you might have been exposed. You might want to get yourself tested or quarantined for 10 to 14 days, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah definitely.
1: Um, One of them that you had just mentioned was the talking about it earlier was the expungement of incarcerated individual hand crews. So like the firemen, the inmates who were firemen. Uh And now this new law, which is AB 2147, which is just this allows inmates who work in the state's fire camps the opportunity to clear their records upon release. And this is meant to reward the hard work of inmate firefighters battling disastrous wildfires throughout the state and it would present the possibility of working in a professional capacity as firefighters. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty good one, especially since there is about 4,300 of them currently incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Right? And it allowed them to really go out in the field and do what they've been doing, at least for the state, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. I actually have a couple of buddies. So when I saw this, um, I was really happy because uh, for those that might be listening and don't know, uh, if you go to prison, you can sign up for this type of programs, but there are exceptions. Uh, which is uh, I think mean, you mentioned them earlier, uh, Chris. Uh, they cannot be sexual offenders. They cannot be in there in jail for a sex crime. They cannot be in there for murder, and they cannot be in there for there's another one
1: for arson, arson. kidnapping. Well, oh yeah, they're
0: arson and they're firefighters.
1: <laughs> the irony there. And, uh and death penalty cases.
0: So it's definitely uh, not the people that are in there for major, major crimes, uh, but some of the people are able to work uh, in a fire camp and train to be a firefighter, which I have had a p- friends, when the wildfires here in California happen, they do tap into the inmates, and they do get those that are trained as firefighters and have been in the fire camp to go on battle these fires. I had friends that have gone up north, have gone everywhere all over the states while they were in prison or, uh, or on parole and they were to help. And then they had the roadblock, which they still had parole, which they still yeah. had their criminal record there. So even though they were risking their lives, say whatever you want to say, they already paid their dues to society by doing their time. Um, they were doing all of this. And even then they were still like, well, you cannot have a job. Well, you can't work at, at, uh, at the fire department because you have felonies. So you cannot work over here at other jobs because you have felonies, you're on parole. So I think this law's great. It allows those that do the extra work that put them put the time on uh, risking their lives when they go into wildfires uh, to be able to be rewarded, as you mentioned, uh, for their hard work.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really tough spot to be in, right? Like you were incarcerated for X amount of time. Mm-hmm. You Put your life at risk, right? With wildfires, especially here in California, we've seen how drastic they've been. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go out and you do this work for the state, and then the state tells you, "No, sorry." At the end, you can't get hired as a fireman, even though you 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 have the basic knowledge of it, mm-hmm. you have some of the real world experience, yeah, right. So why not also increase your abilities to get employed as a fireman, right? Yeah. Um, but also, you somebody else can make that contradict that contradictory argument of like. This individual has been putting in eight plus years of being a volunteer, waiting for a spot, right, mm. to open up, and then get hired as hired on, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then somebody who did let's say ten to twelve years in prison, mm-hmm. and did probably eight of them on the fire camp, comes out and is like, "Yo, seeking an employment," man. He gets hired, right. Somebody could be like, "Hey, you know what? You you only got this job because of this new law," whereas I've been. In my chops for eight plus years as a volunteer. Yeah. And yeah. now you took that spot, right? You that's still, a tough you one. Yeah, see, yeah. Yeah. You can right. see where that argument would come in, right? Yes, yes. That's a oh. tough
0: one. Yes, yes. I do see that. Um, yeah, yeah, I do see that. And uh hopefully um uh, not many situations are like that, man. Nah, it is man. tough. But I think
1: I think for being a fireman, like you have to be really courageous and all that. Mm-hmm. But it's also like they do a lot of volunteer hours mm-hmm. to become a fireman, you know. It's just a sticky situation to be in, you know? Yeah, because
0: you're doing volunteer hours on your own time. Yeah. Uh, you um, Most of them have to feed a family, so have to have yeah. jobs, have to do all that. While you have somebody that's being um, taken care of by the state, don't pay rent. Don't mm-hmm. worry about their meals. And is doing this as a way to get out early. Uh, yeah. So now they have the opportunity
1: to be uh, matched with somebody else. Because they have fire academies, right? Similar to what's uh, like a law enforcement academy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you, you go through all that training, you do all this and that, and you're still a volunteer. And then once your spot opens up and you apply and you get it, mm-hmm. you know, all your hard work is, is done, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I don't, maybe that law, you could probably add another stipulation to it. Like you still got to go through fire academy training or whatever it is. Yeah. You know? But, but I think I the,
0: think the beauty of this law is that the Rikers get sponge. So yeah. they're not just limited to being firefighters. yeah, they can go and get a job anywhere else um and do and live about their lives if they choose to stay on the right path. yeah, whatever that means, just stay out of trouble um with law enforcement. So in that sense, I think it's also I think it outweighs that those those mm-hmm. those costs oh, yeah. um and at the end of the day, um who knows? I don't know. I think it's just gonna have to be. Yeah, it's gonna be some cool statistics to 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 yeah. read on later on. Because another thing is that I have read reports where the fire unions and the fire academies and all that to get a firefighter job, they discovered, and it was here in Los Angeles actually, that there was a whole internal type of um, hierarchy and system where only family members were getting mm-hmm. into firefighters. So I remember that. It was a report that I read a while back. I don't remember. I think it was the LA Times. Where it showed that, um, you know, you had to know somebody inside. Yeah. And the majority of the right. time, it was the family members. So if anything, this opens up the door to more people that might not have yeah. had uh, connections
1: inside. But that's it's kind great of like, the, like being grandfathered in, right? Yes. Yes. Correctly.
0: Yeah, definitely. Is there another one that you want to touch on?
1: Yeah. Actually, it's a SB203, which is the... Juvenile's custodial interrogation. Okay. And this one states, youths up to age 17 can't be questioned by police or waive their rights until they have a chance to consult with an attorney. Cannot? Cannot be questioned? Yeah. Okay. They can't be questioned by police or waive their rights until they have a chance to consult with an attorney. And it states, this bill would direct a court to consider any willful failure of a law enforcement officer to allow a youth 17 years of age or younger to speak with counsel before custodial interrogation in determining the credibility of that law enforcement officer mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think on that? For me personally, um, I think it's a it's a good thing right but because you can limit the amount of forced yes, like admissions yes, right um, but also, I feel like on the flip side, people can really continue victimizing the the youngsters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it can allow gangs or or drug runners to just continue continuously running drugs and committing crimes through teens, seeing as they can't incriminate themselves anymore.
0: Okay. And it's not
1: usable in court, right? Okay, okay. Right, like that's the way, I, when I read it, I was like automatically thinking of that because you can continuously run, you can continuously commit crimes as a teenager and be like, yeah, I did that, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Right? But you're not gonna it's not gonna be admissible in court okay okay yeah
0: interesting that's but, interesting but but yeah the scare tactics are definitely real um i yeah. had, had a couple of encounters myself where they try to scare you um to to admitting stuff that mm-hmm. you didn't even do but like yes we do know and, and you know you have to older man, 30, 40 years old, and you're a teenager, 15, 16 years old, and they basically say they're gonna lay down the book on you and yeah. they're gonna go to jail for 10 years. You're a little uh, kid and you don't even know what the hell's, you've only been alive for like 15 <laughs> years, man. Like yeah. what, like, I'm gonna go my whole life, 10 years? Yeah. uh, Without knowing your rights, without knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, they're just pressuring you to accept something so they can close this
1: case. And so. also, I feel like this is also gonna be really helpful for individuals who are already raised in the system, like group home kids okay. or just people who are constantly in and out of like juvenile facilities. Mm-hmm. Cause automatically, if you're on probation, you automatically got you're able to be searched. Yeah. Right. Unless you're on informal probation, which requires only your probation officer to search you. Right. Unless they gain permission by them. And I feel like this is really going to be helpful for those those individuals. So they're no longer going to be forced to admit something they didn't do or they're not going to be coerced into yeah. admitting anything. Right. But also, I feel like when people are knowledgeable about their own rights, um, the older law enforcement officers don't really take you serious and will kind of just downplay whatever it is you're talking about and make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about, even though you might have done this X amount of times. So I feel like this is going to be really helpful for them. Right. And you are going to see probably less power trips because they're always going to want their stuff admitted in court. Yeah. Right. I feel like that's gonna be really helpful for yeah. Which and for law and enforcement, it's lessons. also
0: gonna be a little bit tougher because now you're just gonna have to, even though you might know this this kid is is guilty, you might have had other people, you know, point the finger and say yes, that's the witness him, and you might want to work out a deal with them, but now you're gonna have to deal with everything else with the lawyers. But yeah. that's the beauty of our system, right? You gotta have process,
1: yeah. have and so now process. you you can just sit there. I need my lawyer, right? And they're gonna have to respect that. Right, because whereas before they'll just act like they didn't hear you say that and continue yeah. questioning and you might just get annoyed and answer their question. Yeah,
0: right? which which there is a lot of violations when it comes to uh to teenagers in regards to not sometimes questioning teens and not having a a parent, a guardian presence. Yeah. Uh talking to them, getting going to school and not having any adult presence or having the consent of the parents or anything like that. So I know, but a lot of people don't fight it. You are young, you don't know your rights, you don't know your laws, and just admit to a lot of crimes. And I think we can segue to the next one, which uh, California's juvenile justice correction centers will stop taking new inmates on July 1st, as the state begins to transition responsibly for young offenders to individual counties.
1: What's your take on that? I feel like this one's gonna be a real tricky situation for the counties, especially because if you read more into that, it's, they want to transition from the Department of Corrections and under the, the umbrella of probation, to social services. Correct, and social services already an impacted program.
0: We're getting we're getting screwed, man, left and right. They fund the police, they fund corrections, and social workers are gonna do everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> talk about job security, right? But it's gonna really impact already an impacted system. You're gonna take in california alone they have about 750 juveniles still in detention okay right Uh in all in three or in four of their their centers right yeah yeah and you take all those kids once they're upon release probation whatever it is they're going to be under social services umbrella right Mm -hmm. so now you're going to have those social workers or counselors or case managers look after and continuously seek out their treatment and make sure they're progressing, right? Uh, but I think it's I think it's a good thing that they're closing out some of their facilities, right? Especially the larger ones. Like you got NA Chattered, I can't pronounce this one is Chatterjian. Okay. Uh Chatterian. That one houses right now 259. And you have OH Close, which is a has 174 youth. Uh And both of these are located in Stockton. Yeah. Correct. And you have Ventura located in Camarillo. And they have 237. Hmm. And you have Pine Grove, which only has sixty eight.
0: But that uh, Pine Grove is a um, it's a um, camp, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think what's interesting about that, because I was confused and I had to do some research on that, was that um, what it means is that the court of the s- the state won't have jurisdiction anymore. Probation and the correctional department uh won't have uh, what is it called? <sighs> Jurisdiction. Jurisdiction, uh, yeah, over the the youth, because apparently what was happening was uh, we have juvenile hall close to here in Selmar, which is still gonna remain open. All the juvenile halls are gonna remain open, they're gonna continue operating, Uh, but those are supposed to be temporary. So the Mm -hmm. children that you have for bigger crimes are going to be there for a longer time. Those were the ones that were sent to Stockton, to Camarillo, uh, to camp, to different places. Um, So now all of these children are no longer going to be there. So on July 1st, they're going to start shutting down. They're going to stop taking new inmates. They're going to let the ones that are in there kind of finish their sentences. And they're going to let... the other ones are going to be two counties. So the counties, like LA County is going to be responsible for their yeah. own youth. And we're still going to have one in Juvenile Hall in Sylmar and we have the other one somewhere in... um Silver Lake, right? Silver Lake, somewhere there, somewhere around on that size. So we're still going to be putting youth in jail, basically, in Juvenile yeah. Hall. Um, but it's just not going to be the state that's going to be running. It's going to be more county. Mm-hmm. So before, I mean, you can see how some of the comments were that you know, families had to drive all the way to Stockton to see their children. So now they're more locally for their parents to see them, to stay close to family. Um, The sentences are not going to be that long. And they're going to be, um, they created this office because what they said, and it was very interesting, man, What I read this, it was that, so what they saw that when the governor signed this into law, they started noticing, or they thought, in quotation marks, that the DAs, were taking off all the deals for the juveniles because the juvenile justice mm-hmm. correction centers were not going to be there no more. So more like, hey, take this deal. Um, you're going to do less time if you do accept this deal. So what they ended up doing is that they were just starting to trial uh, tried, uh youth as adults. And then what they started doing was taking off all the deals yeah. of you're only going to take... Uh, will give you a smaller sentence if you just plead guilty and then you go to the juvenile justice correction centers and all that stuff. What they started doing was taking them off the table and started going for harsher sentences or harsher crimes where it might be that they become adults or they might be tried as adults. I'm sorry. So what they did, it was that they created the Office of Youth and Community Restoration and in that It was um, an office that's going to oversee the counties or is going to guide the counties into this whole um, new system of care, supervision, healing, and rehabilitative programs for the youth. So that's uh, what's going to have is that they're going to have the power to block grants and funding. There's going to be a lot of grants. There's going to be a lot of money for the counties to continue operating these programs, these juvenile centers, and the Office of Youth and Community Restoration is gonna be in charge that there are some standards that each county is taking care and doing what they're supposed to do. If not, they're not gonna get their money. So I think that's where the interesting part's going to be because if you're not doing your job, then you're not going to be getting your money.
1: Well, that's actually a pretty good thing, you know? Like, you're keeping them closer to home you're keeping them much like much closer to home where they can, feel supported by their families, right?
0: Yeah, and and I hope that with this, they're able to, you know, implement more uh, prevention programs and they're Im- able to implement more programs for for rehabilitation, honestly. Mm-hmm. Not just locking kids up and just putting them in cages when they're 14, 13, yeah. uh, 15 years old and just keeping them there uh, in cages. We know how tough it is for adults, now for youth, this is bad. So I hope that this uh, Office of Youth and Community Restoration really comes up and things outside the box and programs are going to be able to help. Uh, hopefully, Department of Mental Health and uh, other agencies are able to collaborate there. Uh, my only question now, since they're not going to be able to go to these correction centers, they're going to be mm-hmm. close. Do you think that we're going to see more youth trial as adults?
1: Possibly, but that depends on the DA.
0: Right, correct. That'll, but that'll but now that DA. now that you know you know, before it was like, okay, we're gonna send you to um, the correction center. Um, you're mm-hmm. gonna stay there until you're eighteen. And then after that, you know, you stay there three years if you're fifteen. But now since that's no longer available and you know, a juvenile hall is not gonna keep you for three years there. So is it gonna be now something where like, well, we're gonna try as adult and you're gonna have to go to county?
1: Awesome, depending on the on the crime, on the severity of it, because these the juvenile prisons, right? they house you until you're 25 Hmm. and there's individuals who probably went in two years ago at the age of 16 and they're in there until they're 25. And I know with this new law that's passing, they're going to let them serve their full time and then they're going to close them down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you can
1: have individuals there until they're 25 years old. Right. Right.
0: So, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see all of that.
1: But I, I do feel like we are going to see more like kids being sent to prison. Right. Or the county jails the moment they turn 18. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is going to be a downside to this. But like you were mentioning about prevention programs, yeah. I feel like now would be a great time for pre- more prevention programs to be developed and really step in yeah. and offer like their services and really try and get some of that grant you the ones you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier mm-hmm. and try and seek some of that funding as well to make sure these programs are functioning and these individuals are being rehabilitated. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know it's in the name, right? And
0: just in context, in California, it costs us $304,000 per year to house a youth. $304,000 to uh, house a youth, um, which you can make $12,000 to go to state college, to state universities, you can waste $12,000, man. And it's $12,000 to send a youth in K through 12 per year. So maybe investing some of that money rather than going to the correction centers, investing it in counselors, in social workers, in school, in programs that are really gonna get, you know what we need? And honestly, I think with the prevention efforts here, we need to get back into um, those manly things because let's be honest, the people that are in these juvenile centers, the majority of them are men, are boys. Yeah right? So a lot, the school system is failing them. They're not interested in that. So why don't we bring back all these old programs that we had where it was woodworking, where maybe that kid doesn't like books and doesn't like tests, but he likes to work with his hands and he can work on cars, mechanic shop, um, something to fix computers, something that people can do, plumbing, uh, construction, like teach them those things that they might be like, be like, right, fuck English, fuck math, science and all that, yeah. but I'm gonna go and do, I'm gonna go work on
1: construction and I'm gonna learn the code and I'm gonna do like, this. Cause... Like learning a trade, right? Yeah, yeah. Picking up a trade work. Because I mean, at the end of the day, some of them working in those trades make more than what well, we will when we have our master's oh. degree
0: yeah 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 definitely right yeah
1: um and i agree with that i feel like there's a lot of young men who do not like going to school
0: mm-hmm.
1: right mm-hmm. who would much rather be doing something with their hands right they, some people like to build stuff take stuff apart and put it back together mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you have that woodworking or wood shop um auto body like auto mechanic class and even like i know in my high school they used to have welding and there was a lot of people doing welding some of those guys who did welding they work have union jobs yeah Right. And there's a shortage of welders still today. Yeah, and they make they're gonna make they make twice my salary, bro. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. And yeah.
1: welders are one
0: of the professions um where they die youngest. Oh really? From falling from accidents. Oh, nice. Just yeah, because oh. you have to go all up in buildings and stuff. That's why they get paid more as well because the death rate in welding is. Uh, it's it's crazy man when you look at the statistics it's very so bad that's the downside yeah that's the downside um, but then again you have this fucking macho man that, I don't need the safety I'm not gonna strap myself I'm not gonna grab my harness yeah. I'm not gonna do this you know look at me look at me and putting themselves in risky situations which that's why we men tend to die younger than females we're more riskier But but mm. but it is like if you're safe and you take care of yourself and you follow all the steps safety guidelines is definitely a great career and there's a shortage of welders Mm -hmm. Uh, i know personally one a guy um kind of grew up together and he's a welder and he makes uh, some good money when he stays out of trouble um in his personal life uh so i think yeah i think it's great hopefully that funding goes to programs like that um three hundred four thousand dollars that we're wasting on keeping them in jail and it's not working
1: that's a healthy salary for a psychologist a school psychologist social workers yeah teachers right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Uh, mm-hmm mm-hmm That's actually a pretty good thing though. Like the phasing out of juvenile prisons. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be really helpful. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, Definitely. But what's going to happen to probation? What's going to happen to the Department of Corrections? I know their, their main focus is going to be shifting to adults. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But is there that many adults out on parole or probation? Correct, correct. Uh, And I think, unfortunately,
0: there is. Um, But yeah, big budget, big budget cuts for them, definitely, since they're not having this funding anymore. So it's going to be very interesting. Uh, I know another law that kicks in is that private companies, private insurance companies must fully cover all medically necessary mental health and substance abuse disorder treatments under the same terms as other medical conditions. So all private companies must now pay for mental health services and substance abuse uh, treatment. And I think it's amazing. I think that's great.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Because, I mean, there was a list of only stuff that they would cover before, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's only a few of them. It's like, what is it? It's like schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, major depressive disorders, panic disorders, OCD, pervasive developed disorder, or autism and bulimia. Mm. That's a short list that your insurance will cover for.
0: Yeah. What about anxiety and depression, which is the most common one for... uh most like the major (laughs) for the whole population they don't cover it
1: you know and that short list it allows like insurance companies just to continue drafting like certain health plans right that use restrictive definitions of what is medically necessary right Mm -hmm. and I feel like that in itself just creates these large loopholes that are used to deny deny care to a patient right and this new law that you're mentioning the list expands Right. Now it includes like substance-induced mood disorders, schizotypical disorders, catatonia, ADHD, agoraphobia, social anxiety, personality disorders, binge eating, the impulsive control disorders, substance abuse disorders, disruptive behavior disorder, and paraphilic disorder, and also factitious and neurocognitive disorders. Mm, okay. So now I've, it just broadened what, the insurance companies must cover right as yeah. what they deem medically necessary right. and i feel like now that's also going to encompass the treatment whether that be medication therapy yeah right yeah. just to continue preventing or treating any of those, those existing ailments mm-hmm. so i feel like that's gonna be really helpful
0: yeah, I think it's definitely helpful. I hope they don't spike the prices, but I do, uh, I do see. Hopefully, more people have that access to their mental health and the substance yeah. abuse treatment, uh, through their insurances, because it really sucks. I'm a drug and alcohol counselor as well, and it sucks when you turn people away because their insurance doesn't cover it. yeah. Uh, or certain treatment centers is like, well, your insurance is not paying enough, man. You can't yeah. stay here 30 days, which we know 30 days is nothing, nothing mm-hmm. when it comes to healing for somebody uh, that has been abusing alcohol, abusing opiates for five, 10, 20 years. 30 days is nothing to that that extend to for healing. Uh, So I hope that insurances do cover it. I hope that there's uh, broadens the scope for more disorders to be covered and people have that access that they definitely Definitely.
1: need. Yeah. And that's also like the access or gaining access Mm -hmm. is another, is one of the reasons why I kind of transitioned into like the social work. Okay. Whereas you're able to draft policies or really advocate for youth, adolescents or adults to have access to the treatment that they need, right? Yeah. Yeah, and <clears throat> there is a lot of red tape. Yeah, you know, if you don't meet the criteria for this treatment plan, sorry, medical necessity, medical necessity, yeah. right, yeah. all the
0: time, and you have to get creative as uh, a clinicians, get creative so your client, that's the advocacy part, so your client uh, is able to meet that medical necessity. Um, I think it's um, yeah, so the access, and, and a lot of the times people don't understand it until you go through it. Mm-hmm. people don't necessarily understand they have had insurance their whole life and they're able to pull out a card and like okay I go to therapy I yeah. go to treatment and just you know what's here's a picture of my of my of my health insurance they don't have to worry about none of that stuff yeah. in regards to somebody that's waiting for a bed at a treatment center county wise uh, that's going to take two months to get a bed there mm-hmm. while you're living on the street being cold uh, yeah so I hope that access does, yeah. uh, does open the doors for more people to get the help that they need
1: and you mentioned the increase in costs, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that could be a major downside to this, right? I hope it doesn't. I hope it definitely like doesn't. increasing the healthcare costs, like how much you pay for your insurance premium a month, mm-hmm. right? With While doing little to improve the access to healthcare providers, right? Yeah. And also, I don't know if you've ever like explored those outlets, like seeking therapy or treatment for, let's say some of your patients that you yeah. work with yeah. or for yourself in general, but you see like there is a low reimbursement rate and mm-hmm. it's a, those contracts, they're pretty burdensome on the providers themselves.
0: Yeah. If they're not
1: getting paid a good amount or what they deem a good amount, right? Mm-hmm. And not many like psychiatrists or psychologists accept insurance because of those contracts. Exactly. Right? Like medi A lot of them yeah. don't
0: take it just because it doesn't pay enough
1: on um, mm-hmm. what they seem. And that's you know. when you leave, like, then you have a sliding scale and requires a lot of the patients to pay out of pocket for their services, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which is another barrier. Um, that people face having to yeah. pay co-pays having to pay out of pocket um it's definitely definitely tough uh but but moving on um i know that another one was california's attorney general was now investigate when an officer involved shooting results in the death of an unarmed person so i think that's great that the california attorney general now um their office has to investigate when there's officers involved shootings uh of an unarmed person so mm-hmm. i mean i think that's what everybody wants right an investigation yeah. thorough investigation to get to the bottom of it and hopefully after the investigation the results or whatever the decision comes it's um it's justice yeah. for for whatever it is whatever the outcomes are so i'm just happy for that is uh, that
1: is that oversight by a, a community like a community the community supervisees who explore, like- So this supervise. is the attorney general.
0: So that'll be in Our, California. The attorney general of California, their office is going to investigate. All right, so they're uh, gonna and, do the investigation. Yeah, and put pressure Our, on it. But I did see that there was another law. I don't have it in my notes, but there, all the counties can create a civilian oversight board or inspector general to independently oversee the work of a sheriff and if needed uh, to issue subpoenas. So civilian oversight board can start issuing subpoenas in different places which I think is great. Mm. I think it's definitely gonna make uh, it definitely, I can see it from an officer's point of view, like fuck, I gotta deal with this other oversight. I gotta deal with all of this. But eventually it kind of, uh, given the times that we're living, it comes with a job. Mm-hmm. It comes with a job that you have to know that people are watching, and you have to do your job the best that you can. Just like you and I, when we get licensed, we're gonna have an oversight board. We're going to have somebody that's checking up on us. We have to go online and register and you can literally go online if you're there uh, if you're a somebody that's getting therapy, you can go online and check your therapist and see how many fucking complaints there is about him. Yeah. Yeah, right, like these guys are fucking perber in, in Stockton or in San Francisco. <laughs> I don't think you want that guy as your, as your therapist. Yeah. Uh, so we have that oversight, so I think it's fair that uh, cops and uh, sheriffs and different uh, organizations are gonna have that as well. Law enforcement, yeah,
1: yeah I feel like on. that's also gonna, that might make people feel more confident mm-hmm. in them in law enforcement with yeah. regards to any justified or unjustified shootings that occur out in the field, yeah, right, yeah. Um, but also, I feel like that's gonna dictate how far a law enforcement officer is willing to do their job.
0: Yeah, that's a whole, that we'll, we'll talk All about right. that in another podcast, uh, definitely. Cause Not I think that's, I that's fucking complicated. Uh, I was watching a video, I don't know if you saw it online, a video circulating of some guy that starts shooting at a cop that's in the middle of the freeway. Like he's in the freeway on the side, uh, cop, pull, I guess, pulls him over or that guy's walking, I'm not sure, but the guy starts yeah. shooting at him and the cop's kind of running for his life. Yeah. And I can see that fucking cop, if I shoot this guy, I'm gonna become the headline. I'm gonna be the face of shooting in an arm. I don't yeah. know, I can't even see the picture because it was somebody driving by that recorded. They don't want to become the, the the next cop that killed somebody. But this other motherfucker shooting at him, those are the people they're dealing with, some crazy fucks yeah. out there that don't care. And that guy shooting at him gets on the police car and steals the police car, man yeah so and I bet you those uh those social justice warriors out there um if the officer would have shot', him, they would have come out and said something uh, yeah. and said something so it, that's that's a whole other complicated issue we can talk about it, but I like the whole civilian oversight uh in regards to that, there's gonna be new fines uh to anyone that calls nine one one uh to the calls to threaten or harass someone because of the race, and this was based <laughs> on amy uh copper
1: Cooper. In New yeah. York,
0: remember when she was
1: um... about the dog?
0: Yeah, yeah. So right. I guess in California, you're gonna start facing fines, five hundred thousand dollars if you call that's on good, somebody right?
1: because because that also does that encompass uh, what's called swatting? Like, uh, I think that's more a...
0: serious. I think that's more, All more right. of a serious crime. Uh but this one's more just because that factor that you call on somebody because they were black, because they were brown, yeah. because you know they're looking at you a different way. So. I mean, it's going to be hard to determine that unless there's video. Mm-hmm. It's going to be yeah. very hard to determine that. But uh, in those cases, yeah, fuck those racist people, man. <laughs> that,
1: that that, definitely, that, man. That That's...
0: call it on somebody else. Like that video, that that guy wasn't doing anything and it wasn't harassing yeah. her. It was just telling her to put the dog on the leash. So,
1: Luckily yeah. for him, he was able to use his phone, right? Yes. And record yes. that interaction. Yes. So but
0: hopefully a lot of us do have smartphones. So,
1: Like you mentioned, it's going to be hard phone. to really prove that that phone call was with that intent. Right. right. Yes, it's going to be definitely without, hard. Without that video proof, right?
0: But at least it's kind of there and it's fine. So yeah. It's not like jail time and stuff. It's fine. So um, another law was that if you do see a child, so if a person who rescues an unattended endangered child under the age of six or younger from a vehicle... It's a summer day here in California. It's a hundred degrees and you see a child six years or younger, which you don't know their age. You're not going to ask them. Um, But if you see a child and you go in there and break into the car to get the child out to safety, um, you cannot be held liable for any damage to the car or the truck, the vehicle. So I guess kind of good. Yeah. It'll it'll
1: prevent those unnecessary deaths. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cause I think if you see a child in there um, and you know, parent left them there for whatever reason it's super hot and you fear for their lives you just can break the window or something like that and
1: trying to save the child you you won't be held liable civil all right yeah that's good you
0: won't be so that's good is there a last one you want to touch
1: before we end Uh, Nah, I think we covered the the major ones
0: that I kind of wanted to cover. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, juvenile justice reform is definitely going to be one that's going to be the major hot topic uh, in the coming months and is going to be leading in the nation just because we're taking the approach of more prevention, more healing. We just got to see it now. How is that going to look like? How is that going to definitely be played out and where the services are going to be in place uh, for those uh, juveniles? Um, I think private insurance is definitely a big one that's going to be able to uh, provide mental health and substance abuse. And um, also police officers can no longer use chokeholds or restraints for for, for, for a person. So it's definitely going to take more training, more training or, to provide. Real quick
1: for that one. Does that, I know it says they can no longer use chokeholds, right? Mm-hmm. But doesn't it also talk about they can use it unless, if their life is in danger? Because they can't use that to arrest an individual, right, or restrain an right. individual, right? But right. they could still use it if their life is in active danger. That's right? that's the clause right there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So sense. they're gonna
0: have to. Uh, yeah, I think uh, once your life is in danger, um, I think all goes. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah, can do anything to 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 yeah. to uh, survive. Uh, but I think, you know, this was definitely in, in regards to uh, George Floyd and how, you know, there's four officers there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was definitely not a threat in that moment when he put that his knee on top of him. So I think that's kind of what it goes to. Um, just not using it as the first thing that you use or yeah. not using it right away as a chokehold to bring somebody down, trying other different tactics. But now I hope, I hope that you know LAPD and uh, sheriff's departments and all these other law enforcement provide their proper training for their officers. Because yeah. now you're expecting them to not use this that they have been taught to use will now provide a proper training and provide that support that they need in order to be able to be effective on their job.
1: Yeah, because that's, that's when you start using the de-escaliz- de-escalization tactics, right? Right. That, that crisis communication, right? And but you gotta I, provide right, so, You gotta provide those trainings yeah.
0: You gotta equip your your officers You gotta provide You know if you need uh, Two people all the time To be mm-hmm. together Not just one alone That might fear for his life And right away Go into a panic mode um, yeah. It's definitely up to the counties uh, To definitely provide that funding For officers To be able to get and, proper tra-
1: and training I feel like they also need to use Like I agree with like Having superior law enforcement officers Who have been there For X amount of years To do some of the trainings mm-hmm. But also individuals who are trained in crisis communication or like de-escalization tactics, right? Yeah, 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 That are proven and backed by like data or research to be known to be effective, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But also I feel like they might also need some training or like just to carry the basic knowledge of what a substance-induced mood disorder is Mm -hmm. or a a substance abuse-induced mental health problem that you might see versus an actual mental health problem, right?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like yeah.
1: schizophrenia, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Or individuals out there with mood with mood disorders or personality disorders. Like being able to differentiate between that and a substance induced mood disorder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Right? So, and that goes part in the training, and you need funding for that to be able to provide yes, those trainings. Definitely. Well, uh, thank you so much, Chris, for joining today. I hope um, um, you were able. I gained so much knowledge today just talking to you. Definitely discussing this. Likewise. Um, and I hope um, everybody that's listening uh, was able to gain some knowledge into the new laws that are taking effect uh, this month in 2021. Um, thank you, Chris, and wish you the best, man.
1: Thank you, Ricardo, for inviting me to be on here, man. Uh, it was a really good experience. I feel like being able to have these discussions is really proactive and very informative, not only to myself, but to your listeners as well. Because um, you're, it's not always... A, that's People don't always have the ability to have these critical discussions, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Um, People might have these conversations in school or in their work settings, but it only stays there in those areas, right? But doing this on our own free time and our own free will to have these type of conversations, I feel like it'll be very beneficial, not only for your listeners, but also for us Mm -hmm. to continue raising our critical consciousness and being able to critically think in a different perspective and understand and break some of these new laws down in a different way rather than just reading them off paper and taking them for face value. Yeah,
0: yeah, right? definitely. Where you're
1: able to deconstruct and make your own interpretation and gain an understanding of what was really said and, and trying to implement within this. So, yeah. thank you, man. Appreciate you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you found it beneficial in any way, please go ahead and share it with somebody who you think it will benefit their lives to listen to today's episode. And if you haven't already done so, please write a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. It will mean so much. And I'd like to point you to our website, unravelingminds.com, where you can find some blog posts, previous episodes, and our social links to Instagram, Facebook, and to anchor.fm, where you can support the podcast if you'd like, to support financially, where you can also leave a message if you'd like to leave a message with some ideas, some topics that you'd like to discuss, or if you'd like to be a guests in the podcast i would love to collaborate you can contact me through unravelingminds.com, or you can go through anchor.fm slash unraveling podcast and leave a message there thank you so much and remember we're not done we're just getting started